Um, yesterday, I rediscovered a whole bunch yesterday. of... Yesterday. Sorry, go ahead. You're in one of those moods. Actually, that's not too bad. Um, well, you were just playing You were just playing the song Funky Town as we I came was. in. And my guess is you're not going to get away with putting any of that into this thing because somehow somebody's going to find us for a copyright strike, even yeah. though it's a podcast. Yeah. And not, yeah. But um, I'm reminded of... Uh, a whole bunch of parody videos done by the Linux company, Sousa. And they did a whole bunch of things. They're not Yankovic level, but they're still pretty good. I don't know if you've heard of them. And one of the best ones they did uh, was a takeoff on Uptown Funk, and it's called Uptime Funk. Yes, I, actually, I do remember it, yes. It's not bad. And it's something that only a computer geek could could, could appreciate. <laughs> Uh, most of the musicians are actually employees of this German Linux company, SUSE, but they always get higher, like outside vocalists. So I guess they're okay with the with the with the instruments, but nobody can sing, which is fine. But I'm always trying to figure out what's in the head of the singers, as here they are singing about all this computer jargon. They know nothing about what they're singing. These geeks have put words in their mouth that they don't understand, and they still pull it off. It's quite an achievement as far as well, I'm concerned. ABBA was famously, you know, uh, famously did not speak English and yet managed to, you know, create a whole catalog of hit songs sung in English, you know, and could have convinced pretty much anybody that, yeah, they spoke English rather well. Well, not only did they convince, I don't know if you remember, they got their start by winning Eurovision. Yes, I do know that, yes. Which is, uh, which is, I don't want to get myself down the Eurovision rat hole. Um, my wife is not fond of the fact that these days a lot of my uh, Spotify new playlists turn out to be Eurovision winners and, in fact, some of the glorious losers. Is this the, is this the part where I say, hi, Evan? Hi, Marcel. <laughs> yeah, I guess we've already started. <laughs> It's like one of those it's like one of those rolling starts. It's not quite a fade in, yeah. but Yep. <laughs> well I think it well, kind yeah. of works. I think it kind of works actually. You know, it's like here's the beginning of a conversation and it's like well, let's pause for a second and say hi to each other. So how the hell are you anyway? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, it's been uh, a very, very interesting summer. So I guess we can spend a couple of minutes of what I did last summer. So what did you do uh, last summer, Evan? We were going to go to Nova Scotia. We were going to go to the coast of the Atlantic and drive around. And there's some really, really neat things that are that are out there. And we booked the flights and we booked the hotels and we could not rent a car to save our lives. There wasn't a single car rental available anywhere in the province. And it was just, it was either drive out there, which we weren't going to do, or give it up. Yeah. And so we gave it up. I was just amazed. There was a period of time where you could not find a car rental just about anywhere in the country. And I don't know if chip shortages or COVID or whatever, but the end result was you could get there. But once you got to the airport, you couldn't get anywhere. Well, there and, were also problems with accommodations across the country. Like in Ontario here, 
we talked about getting away for, you know, at some point this summer. And uh, two things happened. One of them is it was like two to three times more expensive than it was last year to rent a place, to rent the same goddamn place. Um, and assuming, of course, you could even get it. Like, you know, it, it was like the floodgates had opened and you couldn't do it. But continue. Well, no. Well, well, when we were booking for us, hotels were a problem mainly because everything we wanted had been booked up. We were wasn't quite last minute, but clearly this was in demand. And it was just at the point where the lockdowns and, and, and the panic and the paranoia was subsiding and everybody wanted to get away. Mm-hmm. So I, in my case, it wasn't so much that the hotels weren't available. It's just everything got grabbed. Everything decent got got taken. So we ended up booking stuff that still wasn't too bad, but still, uh, you know, was not the cream of the crop because they'd been taken like ages ago. And so right. our uh, so we ended up calling that off, canceling the hotel, canceling the flights and doing something more modest, which we could drive to. And so we wouldn't need a rent a car. And so we ended up going to the uh, what's called the Thousand Islands area of uh, Ontario. And it's uh, on the it, like it's near the Great Lakes around Kingston, Ontario, about halfway between Toronto and Montreal. And it is it is a beautiful area. I don't know if there are a thousand islands. I haven't counted them. But uh, what we did do is we booked a holiday where half the time was on the American side and half the time was on the Canadian side, which in the U.S. meant a little town called Alexandria Bay, which I think pretty well has tourism as its only industry there. Uh, And so they were having a fun time coming up for air and they were totally busy. Uh, and it's great. It had this little small town American feel. And this is where all the tour boats went from. Uh, the main attraction in that area was something called Bolt Castle, B-O-L-D-T, which was built by the owner of the Waldorf Astoria for his wife who died before they could take occupancy. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, by the way, just so you know, 1,864 islands in Thousand Islands. Okay. Just, just thought you'd like to know. I'm okay. I'm sufficiently <laughs> impressed. Uh, the joy of the interwebs every fact is at hand it is it is uh anyway so alexandria bay on one side and a little town in ontario called gananoque where we stayed in the most wonderful bed and breakfast it was pretty well the only five-star thing i've ever stayed in and it was worth it it was up to the hype and it was just a great week Uh, we still eventually want to get back to canada's east coast but uh, we didn't do so bad. So that was the main high. That was the main highlight of, of my summer. And I spent my the rest of my time uh, trying to turn half of my office into a video recording studio. But we'll talk about that later. It's, I'm it's, you know, it's, it's impressive. It, it truly is impressive. Um, well, we uh, we mostly stayed home. Uh, we uh, We took advantage of the pool and the hot tub. And we made sure that every day, if we could possibly do it, uh, you know, every day that was sunny or, you know, not, you know, and not pouring rain or whatever, which, you know, we didn't have that much rain, but um, uh, we would eat outside on the patio, you know, at dinner time and, uh, you know, try to take advantage of the summer as much as possible. I spent a lot of time uh, riding bikes or scooters with my kids uh, and taking walks uh, to the corner store with uh, my my oldest in particular, who demands this on a pretty much a daily basis, my uh, my 18 year old autistic son. And, um, you know, basically having some fun. We took a couple of day trips, like to places like Grand Bend, for instance, went to the beach there. Uh, so we got in the water in actual 
lake, you know, water as opposed to just a swimming pool. Um, but it was it was a good time. Um, and I have to say that after a couple of years of, you know, not going anywhere and not seeing anything, it was great to get out and about. We had people come to visit this summer, not not in the same way that we've had in the past where, you know, family would drop in en masse and stuff like that. But uh, but we had several visits with friends here at the house and uh, life started to feel quasi normal again. You know, isn't isn't it wonderful that that all of a sudden, you know, people are meeting again and the appetite for people wanting to get out is just enormous. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, towards the end of the summer, Toronto hosts what they call, I think, the, the one of the biggest county fairs in North America called the Canadian National Exhibition. Yes, yes. Also and, known as the unofficial end of summer. Yes, yes. yes. And, and, and but for, for some reason, which I guess I'll take as a good sign, usually the last day of the CNE, they manage to have some drunken riots almost every year. Not this year. <laughs> this year they treated the place with respect because now they appreciated what it was like to have it after two years of not having yes. it. So uh, it, the crowds were absolutely were massive. Uh, you know, all the vendors and all the people that, that wanted to come and see things and exhibit things or whatever. It was like, you know, welcome back to sanity. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. I, I did. We did not go to the CNE this, you know, at the end of the summer, but we certainly thought about it. It was more a question of, um, well, it was, it was more a question of logistics uh, for, you know, one person in the family in particular having access to facilities that would make him happy. So, you know, decided to just, uh, you know, put it off and see if, uh, see if we can, you know, actually make it happen at some point. Uh, my wife and my younger son actually took a trip to Montreal uh, out of the freaking blue. They've been taking French lessons using a, an app called Duolingo. Um, you know, which is interesting because, you know, they didn't want to practice their French with dad who actually speaks French. It's actually from Quebec, but, but they were willing to, they were willing to study with an app and they've been doing that for about a year now. And, uh, they're both doing quite well, actually, to be perfectly honest. And, uh, so they were talking about the idea that, you know, one of the best ways to, to, you know, take this for a spin would be to go somewhere where you're surrounded by French people. And they got into their heads. And my son is 15 years old. Uh, my other son is 15 years old, my youngest. And uh, so out of the blue, they sit there and start talking about Montreal. And like the next day, they're booking a flight, like, like literally the next day. And two days after the initial subject comes up, they're on their way to Montreal. And I'm here with my older son and, you know, spending, you know, spending four days together while the other two are in Montreal enjoying uh, everything that Montreal has to offer, which is, as you know, substantial. They went to they went to the biodome. They went to the uh, to the um, horticultural. Uh, uh, sorry, the uh, the gardens, botanical. the botanical gardens. Sorry, I was yeah, the botanical gardens. They went to uh, you know uh, old Montreal and visited some of the you know the places up there, including the big basilica. You know, just you know, did the whole tourist thing, ate some great food, had some great times, and um, so I was very happy for them. I, I was a little jealous, but <laughs> but yeah. very happy for them. I hadn't been to the botanical gardens in ages and went back, and it was absolutely splendid. I I I love Montreal. Oh, to so me, it's sort of it it to me it's not quite as bad as San Francisco in the realm of great place to visit, but damn, I wouldn't want to live there. Um, because when you drive, there's there's the drivers and the potholes, and they're both out to get you in Montreal. <laughs> the current state of potholes and 
Montreal, as you know, is the kind of place where the road markings are only there for decoration. <laughs> yes, I do know that, as a matter of fact. Actually, it's funny, the, the like, you know, I can't speak for today because I just don't do as much driving as I used to. But when I used to live in Toronto uh, or Mississauga, anyway, I used to drive in Toronto on a daily basis. Um, I thought of myself as, you know, you, you know, a Toronto driver, I can handle absolutely anything. And then we go to Montreal for a couple of days. You know, this is before kids, you know, B.C., uh, B.K. rather, B.K. before kids. And uh, we go to Montreal and it would be like I'd be like, you know, my nerves would be frayed, <laughs> like just driving around this place it's freaking you're scary absorbers, your what's that sorry and absorbers. oh because so anybody anybody who thinks that they're anybody who thinks that they're a good driver you know i drive in the big city it's like let's drop you into montreal and see how you do well i don't know if you've ever seen those those videos that those youtube videos that come from intersections in india that look like absolute chaos and nothing yes. is moving but they make sense. Everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone is moving at a snail's pace, and eventually everyone gets through. Yep. There's more order to that than your typical <laughs> intersection in Montreal. <laughs> the, the cars are lined up properly, but once that light goes, man, they think they're on the Villeneuve track, and they just go nuts. Oh, and yeah, and, a... and I, love, I love going to Montreal, and invariable, never, ever fails. I'm on the streets in Montreal. Somebody comes up and asks me for directions in French. Like, I look like a native. Okay. I think I'm giving them the right directions in French. Maybe. Je ne sais quoi, peut-être si ça t'avait la direction, tout le monde est capable. It's like, yeah. <laughs> no, like, okay, my, my accent is indecipherable. They can't tell what part of the world my French comes from, because clearly it's not of this earth. So <laughs> anyway. Well, anyway, anyway. So what shall we talk, we about? talk about? There were things we were going to talk about. Well, we can actually... still talk about those things. I mean, you know, so so we we basically said, you know, we we took the summer off, like neither of us did a podcast. Uh, I think the last one we did was June or something like that. And then on July and August, it's like, there's no way we're getting together and it's not happening. Um, it, I, I, have a, I have a thing that I wanted to talk about, and I know that we discussed it on a little bit, but, you know, I, I want to hear your voice on it. So a few days not ago. Computer, not my computer generated avatar AI voice. No, but your computer generated stuff, definitely. So... Have you played with there's a uh, there's something called stable diffusion? Have you played with that at all? No, I have not. I found out about it just recently when you told me about it. Okay, about I, well, I was wondering whether you'd had a chance to actually try it out since then. But here's the thing um, there, it is not the only one. The one that really made the news uh, a while back was uh, Dally uh, from OpenAI, which, uh, you know, was kind of locked down by is Dally by yeah it is open ai but it was kind of locked down invitation only that sort of thing and then uh other tools started to appear uh using different uh you know machine language trained uh you know nlp trained data sets and um midjourney was one of the more famous ones that came along and um midjourney got into the news in a big way a couple of weeks ago because there was a there was an art competition in the states and i'm trying to remember where it was now at the moment i could look it up but uh maybe i'll try to link it in the show notes there but there was an artist um allen i'm trying to daniel allen i believe it was uh but uh, i may be getting this wrong but allen is his last name and uh he put forward a piece of art that won at this competition okay 
and the he he actually wrote by himself and mid journey okay so of course the judges had no idea what the hell mid journey was they looked at his art they said this is like this is absolutely amazing it's gorgeous it's beautiful it's evocative it's fantastic first prize so for the first time ever a an art competition was given first prize to an ai generated piece of art which spawned all sorts of incredible controversy. Like people went nuts saying, there's no way this should be allowed to happen. This is just awful. This is the end of everything. And um, since then, and we, we, can, we can talk about, you know, the furor that happened over that. But since then, there are other tools that have sort of appeared and they seem to be appearing like insanely rapidly. And one of these is stable diffusion. Now, Mid Journey has a limited release. It, it happens on Discord. Uh, you have to get invited, and these are tools where you, um, you know, you get a few free trials, and then you know you have to pay some money to continue doing it. The uh, Discord for Mid Journey can be a little odd and difficult to navigate, you know, when you're trying to create things. Although it's not impossible, obviously. Um, but Stable Diffusion is interesting because it's 100% open source. Okay, so not only is the software not only is everything available but it's available in a way that everybody can download tweak and work with it oh i see i see a look on your face you're trying to no, stop I'm, me here I'm, I'm puzzled about the distribution method that you just described you said you needed to you needed to jump through a lot of hoops and know the secret handshake to get in that's but right once you get in the code is open source no that was dally and, oh. and to some degree, mid-journey. They're all closed-type models. Stable Diffusion is the latest, and it was released officially August 22nd, I believe, which is, oh. yeah, which is an interesting, you know, which is um, interesting in the sense that it's less than a month ago since this happened. And basically, everything has exploded in the world of AI art since then. Now, Stable Diffusion is available on GitHub. The data model is available for download. That's the that's the trained model that the art generation happens on. And all of the source code necessary to create an application or to query the model itself. So now right. there are people building tools. Like, I mean, it, you know what happens in the open source community. Like, it's practically overnight. It's like we've been given this thing. Everybody jumps on it and everybody starts playing with it. We'll find out what bubbles to the surface in a big way in the end. But... I have built a couple of these tools already. There's one that I'm using right now called NMKD, um, also available on GitHub, although you can download it, uh, you know, pre-built from the author who created it. Uh, it's hardly the only one. There are several of them like that. But, but now all of a sudden, this ridiculously powerful AR generation stuff is available, like I said, free open source to the world, and anybody can get in on this and start creating things. Now, I've posted into our chat a few bits and pieces of art, and I generated all of those on my notebook here, okay? I have, as I think you know, I have a um, uh, uh, Lenovo Legion 5. Uh, it's an AMD chip in this thing, but it has an NVIDIA, I believe it's a 1660 Ti card in it uh, with six gigabytes of, uh, of RAM. And then, of course, my notebook has another 16 gigabytes of, of uh, RAM, you know, system memory on it. So it's, it's punchy-ish. It's not the most punchy thing in the universe. But the point is, everybody has access to this technology at the moment. And, of course, what people are, which is, there are countless articles being written about the idea that this is the end of commercial art as we know it like there's just 
no point. And I have a friend, I will not name him at the moment because I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth or make judgments on him, but he's, he's a famous visual artist. He's been in this business for decades now. And he is one of the people who basically says like, what's the point? Anybody with a few well-placed prompts and the willingness to experiment with how you describe what it is you want to see can generate a fairly respectable and sometimes brilliant piece of art um, in second without having to pay anyone to do it. So just curious what you think about all this. Um, it's a double-edged sword. I'm more on the side that this is wonderful because from the point of view of consumers of art as opposed to creators, this is wonderful. If you want something on your wall and you want it to evoke a certain thing for you, all of a sudden, you got a lot more choices. Um, I think part of the problem with everyone freaking out about that art show is a matter of categorization. And I think the world is going to catch up to it. You don't have hip hop competing against classical. They're, they're different genres. They're different kind of music. I can see when it comes to things like art, when it comes to competitions, I can see them making a category for computer generated and a category for human generated. And if somebody's going to say, well, this is naturally superior because this is computer assisted or whatever, we have an MBA, we have a WNBA. And we have a WNBA because even the best women in basketball, if they competed in the regular NBA, people are scared that they just get clobbered. So they have, so right now they have different categorizations. Now, we can go down a different rat hole about the WNBA and, and now that you have people that are non-binary and neither male nor female and which basketball team do they go on to, that's a, an entirely different rat hole that will take in another episode all by itself. So we'll yeah, bypass yeah, that. Yes, let's bypass but, that. But the idea being is that is that, you know, to me, this is a new way to create art. And this is just like having electronic instruments that are able to be programmable and do things that people could not do with conventional instruments. So to the creative mind, you basically now have more options. And especially the great thing about having something with open source is it invites experimentation. It invites forking. It invites people to play with every piece of it. So it's not just things like you want to play with the data set. If you don't like the way it draws a horse, you can totally fix the to your liking the way it draws a horse, as an example. And so, uh, you know, so when you feed, you know, I want, I, you know, I want a horse on top of a streetcar or whatever. The way it draws the horse will be more in tune to what you want it. And so, I see this as generally a good thing. But I think the world, the art world, is going to have to catch up with it in terms of. How do you deal with it? You know, how, 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 how do you deal with it as a work of art? Do you compare it one to one? When, it, when, when it's on somebody's wall, people care less about where it came from than what it evokes. And so yes. I'm, 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 you're looking at it from the creator's standpoint. I'm looking at it from the consumer standpoint. And to me, for, as, as a consumer of art, I just saw my options got a little wider. Because now the creators have a lot more things to play with. Those who will gravitate to it, towards it will. Those who like the old style also will. As a matter of fact, this also harks back to something I was just looking a couple of days ago. Are you familiar with the musical band Postmodern Jukebox? Uh, I, I have, no, I, I'm not, or at least it doesn't ring a bell. 
what they've done is they've done covers of modern songs using a you know 50s and 60s and 70s musical styles and their cover of the toto song africa which i'm not particularly fond of anyway but their version of it is an entire extended video where somebody goes to a music shop and the and the guitar is sort of under glass do not touch because everyone is buying dj gear you know press the button for the bass and all that kind of thing right, and nobody's right. creating nobody's creating music everyone's creating beats right and so it's basically a guy walks into the store and says do you have any real music looks at the looks at the at the at the guitar under glass and and makes a deal and that's the lead into you know how these DJs or whatever just freak out and their brains explode when they actually hear horns and guitars and real drums and that kind of thing so one doesn't negate the other there's room for DJs and there's room for real instruments the world is big enough for both of them uh you know somebody still has to feed that ai the subject matter that's going to be useful and somebody has to give that ai the data set the way how to draw things and that well, okay. has the ability yeah. to, to differ from artist to artist to artist you know if it's open source this is the best thing because people can fork it people can modify it as they wish that i think is going to be a channel for some real creativity that is going to come out. So it's not just what you feed into the AI, but now we have an opportunity because it's open source that the AI itself is going to be the source of creativity too. Does that make well, sense? Well, it it does. And I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you and, and backpedal you a little tiny bit. Now, I understand what you're saying, especially from a consumer perspective, because I, I honestly have been having a blast with this stuff. And I've also been working with AI tools to generate text, uh, GPT-3 text, including, uh, you know, I've been doing poetry and stuff like that. In fact, I just did a video, which I put on YouTube yesterday on um, on using AI tools to generate poetry. But just go back to art for a second here. First of all, nobody is teaching this thing how to draw a horse. Like no one is. There is no such thing happening. What the natural language processing tools or the you know the natural learning tools are doing is sucking up every piece of art that exists on the internet. It's looking at correlations between all the points and all the different artists and all the different styles. It collects all this stuff. It does all this, you know, uh, correlating and, and, you know, and evaluating and whatever. And the fact of the matter is nobody actually knows how this happened. Like nobody knows. So the open source stuff is how you manipulate the data set or, you know, like the, the model, as it's called, how you manipulate and extract information out of the model. But how the model itself comes to be and how the AI interprets and generates things is something that's beyond the scope and the understanding of any human being. And in fact, the people who created this thing have no idea how it works. And I am not actually th this is not hyperbole. This is actually fact. Like in Europe at the moment, they have they're trying to pass a law on artificial intelligence that says that the AI has to be able to explain how it arrived at a particular solution or how it arrived at, let's use the art in this case, an interpretation of this horse that's running across a field at the golden hour with a forest background, blah, 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 all this stuff. OK, it has to be able to explain how it got there. And nobody can do that. So the European laws, which don't exist at the moment, the proposed laws are a fucking insane, as they often are, because you've got people trying to pass laws on things they don't understand. 
and they don't. They have no understanding of how this actually works. But the problem is the people who created these things basically let a, a nascent intelligence, and I'm not necessarily talking sentient here, you know, or, or sapient or whatever, but some, you know, some nascent intelligence figure out how all this stuff works so that it can then spit out information on the other side. And there is no reproducible way to explain how you get, no, there isn't. You've got this look in your face, but there isn't. There is nobody on earth that can explain it. Okay, but there is code. This is open source, so there is code that is out there that is doing this, right? It's not somebody's waving a magic wand and it goes poof and it creates. No, but even but the code cannot force it to generate anything. All the code can do is fine tune, uh, maybe speed up the output, speed up the way that you query this database, and so on. I'm going. I'm. I'm going to sound like a Neanderthal here, but I'm trying to get to the core point of this. Mm -hmm. Okay, somebody says. I want a horse on top of a streetcar. That's right. Somewhere, some algorithm is telling it, and, they, and the algorithm may have random elements into it. So on two invocations, it'll find totally different ways of doing it. Mm -hmm. But somewhere, there is code, there are algorithms that are saying, this is your general, for lack of a better term, automated thought process of how you're going to randomly go through and fetch them. So the Europeans, yeah, they're absolutely in la-la land on this. But because we're dealing with open source, this is to me a vital reason why having this open source is a big deal. And mm -hmm. frankly, I hope that the proprietary ones die in the cold. Because this means, at very least, the path that you took, you say they don't understand how you got there. They still wrote the code. And somebody had to create the AI that did that. And so it sounds like they've taken great pains to make sure that it doesn't reflect their own biases or whatever. Somebody is going, mm -hmm. to, buy, yep. going to delve into the code and find out, oh, they're biased and they're white and they're male or whatever. And this is how it infected their cause. Somebody is going to, somebody is invariably going to do this, but it doesn't matter. It looks like, according to what you've just told me, they've taken great pains to make sure that that bias isn't injected into the art produced by this. And that's, to me, wonderful. But it still means somebody has to seed it, you know, say, I want a horse on streetcar or whatever. So somebody is going to give the creative thought of doing this, right? Nobody nobody loves uh, the Fireside cartoons because of the drawing style. They mm -hmm. love it because of the ideas behind it. Of course. Right? And so, this, so the seeding of the AI is 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 going to be the critical thing and that's in where some of the real human input creativity is going to come in everyone's going to say give me this or whatever somebody's going to give it that seed that's going to create something nobody else has thought of to me that's but that's creative... but that's but that's the point that's the point it's something that nobody else has thought of it's not like there's a ready set available picture of a horse on top of a streetcar sitting inside this model anywhere okay right the yeah the it it figures out okay this is what a streetcar is this is what a horse is this is you know and, and it comes it puts things together if you'll pardon the expression very much in the way that a human being would put things together only it does it like that Yes, but unlike a human brain, which you really can't, which which science still hasn't totally figured out yet, you can look at the code and 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 at least extract a way of how this thing got from from seed to product. 
Mm-hmm. You, I mean, there's going to be, but an, but you enough... can't. But no, but that's the only thing that the open source stuff can do is come up with new and interesting ways to query the model, the model that gets created that's trained. Okay, it all starts yeah. with the pre-trained model, and the pre-trained model is not open source. The pre-trained model happens oh, through some. Okay. Yeah, the pre the pre-trained model happens through a a natural learning process that no one fully understands so i can create a piece of code that for instance filters out uh, nsfw stuff not safe for work stuff like violence or blood or sex or whatever mm-hmm. so i can create a i can create software that filters that stuff out i can create software that gives preference to uh, waifu you know waifu uh, you know jam- exactly you know um science fictional characters so i can give preferences towards those things but the model that is at the core of everything that gets generated is a black box, okay? All you do is you throw a whole pile of data at it. The computer figures out all these interrelationships. No human being understands how all these interrelationships come together, how the model finally comes together. They have tools that generate the model, but how the model gets generated is a mystery. Well, I guess I guess what I'm I'm having a hard time grasping is this whole concept of what you're calling a black box. Does there exist a black box if this is open source? And so this is where my this is where my disconnect is happening. If if you're telling me this is open source, this is something where anyone can go in and muck with the innards, then this is telling me that there are innards somebody can muck with. And that means that somebody could fine-tune an algorithm or basically take another piece of software where you feed it the exact same thing as you did before, but the output is different. Okay. I, I don't know. I mean, this may be something where I just don't understand it. And if you're saying there's a black box, it means most of our world doesn't understand it. It isn't, isn't able to reverse engineer it, which is fine. But eventually that will happen. Uh, first of all, the way that you query the model is what's open source. Okay, methods for querying the model and for generating output are open source. The model itself requires such immense computing power that it is outside the scope of most, you know, of most enterprises, including even universities in some cases. Okay, we're talking like supercomputer level uh, manipulations of frightening amounts of data. Like in the case of natural language processing, GPT-3, we're talking about the entire internet. Everything that's been, everything that's been written, that's been posted, you know, like, uh, all of, you know, all of Wikipedia was famous in, I think in the GPT-2 model or something like that. All of Wikipedia, all of Reddit, every conversation that's ever been had, every book that's ever been written, blah, blah, blah. You throw all that stuff in there. There is no way a single human is going to be able to understand how all this stuff gets put together. Now, the kind of training, you know, that we're talking about in this case is something that's been worked on for a long time, but, and that has been tweaked and fine-tuned and so forth. And yes, the input does have something to do with what gets spit out in the end, okay? But the data, the, the amounts of data, the vastness of the data 
is beyond the point where anyone can actually understand how it collapses together into a model that can then be queried. Okay, so that model is beyond human understanding, and there's no way that it could, and there's no way that it could get recreated the same way twice. In fact, okay, I'm still, I'm still suggesting, and maybe this is beyond our ability today. But just remember now, the supercomputers of not that long ago fit into a Raspberry Pi today. So I'm just saying, as we go on, this will probably be better understood. That block, that black box will eventually be broken into, and there'll be even more creative potential there. What I don't know is it still needs to be seeded. You can't take this piece of software and just press a button and say, make me something. In a way, it has to be seeded. But once the model exists, seeding it can be as simple as typing in the word the. Do you know what I mean? Like, it it doesn't have to be particularly. So I'll tell you what. So here's the homework, okay? I want you to take 20 instances of typing in the word the and see what it spits out. All right. I will do so. Somewhere we'll have to put that up on a file share, whatever, where anybody can get and say, Here's 20, 20 instances of the word the, and this is what it came up with. I'd be fascinated. Well, in that case, well, for, for starters, before we put it up on the internet, I will actually put it in our signal conversation so that you can actually see uh, see them as they get generated. It should be quite amusing. <laughs> no, no. Look, I, look, it's not that I mind being wrong. <clears throat> I'm, I'm talking about what I think. In the future, they're going to be able to crack it. And I don't think that is a statement that right now is provably wrong because we don't know what our future selves will be able to do. Well, given given that the given that the the generation of the mod and, and I guess this is the part where I question whether that's actually ever going to be possible. Okay. Is the the results that you get, okay, if I run exactly the same data set a second time, like exactly the same data set, I will not get the same model output. Okay. That just tells me that somewhere there might be some kind of randomness injected into this. So well, the, the, the randomness is the freaking universe. I mean, it's... No, but I mean, so somewhere in the code, there might be some kind of random number generator so that two iterations of the same seed don't produce the same thing. I see what you're saying. Um, although I... I think that for the for, let's just agree for the moment then that for the foreseeable future okay um that capacity is outside the realms of you know of most what we'll call modest computer systems and so forth and the effect of what this has on on society and certainly on the business of of you know creative endeavors whether it's writing or art creation or something like that will continue to be felt and will have you know tumbled into something else my my son actually is on the is on the same page as you he actually are he was actually arguing uh saying that i can only see this as a good thing because it's another tool for you know artists to have at their disposal or for people who just want to create something like he's making video games and all right and he used um he used mid journey to generate um, icons for magical abilities in the RPG game that he's working on. And they look really cool and they look cooler than anything he could have generated, right? And he actually said it that way. He said, I'm looking for a series of icons for magical abilities in an RPG game. And of course, it spits out a whole pile of them and continues to spit things out for as long as he wants it to spit things out. And um, and they do. They look really cool. They look like something a professional artist would have generated. You know, and he did it in a few seconds using, um, you know, 
props that he threw into this machine. But the way that I explained it to him, and the reason that I believe that this is controversial, and this this seed sits nicely with you know one of my favorite um, uh, Bailey Wicks or or, uh, or soap boxes, which is the whole universal basic income thing, is that there are a whole bunch of people out there who have been employed writing copy, for instance, for, you know, financial and sports reporting, for instance, who no longer have those jobs. There are a bunch of artists who are getting paid to create, you know, um, to create novel and new art for um, an article, you know, to accompany an article in a magazine or something like that. They don't have that job anymore because somebody can just spit up something. I'll spit up three or four things. I'll pick the one that I like and I'll use that because there's no copyright on it. It's completely unique. It's not a, it's it's not you know stealing from somebody oh, else's work. I'm 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 with you till you said no copyright. At a certain point, until our laws catch up with it, mm -hmm. we are going to have we're going to have messy period where who's claiming copyright on something, right? I mean, I I went through a copyright course and they went through all these weird use cases like. A photographer drops a camera. The chimpanzee takes a picture <laughs> with it. <laughs> yes, I remember that. And who owns it, right? And my answer was, and they, and 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 the law professor actually said it was probably the best idea, though it's not what the courts thought. Was the owner of the park where the chimpanzee resided? And I remember anyway. But that was a whole leap. The point is, is with this, just like you know, you were talking about these European laws about AI that are coming up. The 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 Governments and states and policies are like so many steps behind this, but mm -hmm. eventually they will catch up. Right now, we're now in this in this really really muddy area where where it's a little bit wild westy. You know, you, does the person who who typed in the word the get to claim <laughs> copyright on what the machine spits out? And as of right now, under current legal under under the current state of law. That might be the case. Mm -hmm. I typed in the word the, therefore I own the rights to whatever this spat out. And you may disagree. The point is, it's not clear cut. Right. And, 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 and society and policy and law is eventually going to catch up with it. But we're nowhere near. Of course. Know? Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, it's the same thing like uh, a self-driving car gets into an accident. Where's the liability? Well, interestingly right? enough, there are laws that are being that are being drafted that take some of those things into consideration, which I do find kind of fascinating. But, but that's still in flux. Yes, of course. Yes, yes. Yeah. And they're going to find the first few iterations are going to have so many things falling between the cracks that they're going to have to patch up the cracks. Yeah, I, 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 I do think like I, I keep coming back to the idea that there are so many things happening so quickly that we are, you know, and COVID-19 didn't really, in, in some ways, is yet another symptom of all the things that are happening around us so amazingly fast, you know, climate change, pandemics, uh, you know, automation. And then, of course, now we've got, you know, artificial intelligence tools that that uh, most of us barely understand, but that permeate our lives in every single way. Uh, the effects of social media and, and our social discourse and how we communicate and work with each other and interpret the world and so on. There is so much crap happening so fast that we you know to, to to steal a term that scares the hell out of people we really kind of need a great reset like we need we need to recreate society now i'm going to make the point that that's happening whether or not we want it or are calling for it or yeah whatever. no no i agree i agree with you so you're saying so you're saying and i agree 
that there are all these mundane mechanical jobs that are going away because AI and computers were solving them. Mm -hmm. And there's not just in art, right? Paralegals, right? Yes. Repetitive filling out of forms. 90% of the work of a real estate agent, which is the back end dirty stuff, is, go is, is going to go away. There's all sorts of other things like this. And it's not just a matter of, do we need it? Do we want it? I think it's going to be imperative. Now, this has a potential of going down another rat hole, but I'll try and state my case very quickly. Sure. The world is getting older. With the exception yep. of a very few countries on Earth, you have, you have basically negative population replacement in most of the Western world. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone kept thinking of, well, Japan is it, it, this aging population that isn't generating, don't have enough kids, and they have no immigration. So basically, they're in this loop, and they're rapidly aging. Japan isn't even the worst of it. China is far worse in terms mm -hmm. of the aging population because of the one-child policy. Yes. And so now you have nobody, you have no kids left to do all these cheap manufacturing jobs. That is going to fundamentally change the economics of China. But it, but the Western world, Europe, Canada, is not that far behind. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in Canada's case, because we are so welcoming to immigration, we're slightly blunting that. But the fact of the matter is, most countries, unless they do something like immigration, are going to see their populations dropping. I've seen a number of analyses that say basically China's population peaked a couple of years ago and is never going to be as big as it is now. Because not only do they not have a cohort of kids to replace the growing up the, the people that are growing up now, but since there's so few of them, they're going to have fewer kids and this is going to spiral. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't claim to be a demographic expert on this, but at least from the signs I'm seeing, you now have, you know, they're calling it the great resignation, right? You have all these people yes. that are quitting their jobs because they're retirement age. And is there enough generation, pick your letter, Z, X, whatever, is there enough of those to take up the slack? And if the answer is no, we're going to need this automation to fill those gaps. Mm -hmm. So what it means is the the the, the the, the jobs that are going to remain will be either stuff that for some reason are either so manual dexterity or whatever that, that, that a computer is going to have a hard time with it, or the really, really smart jobs. That is, who's programming the AI? Who's creating this? Right. Uh, a lot of the stuff in the middle, I fear, is going to go away. But if the population is dropping, that simply means that the Western world has to figure out this is going to require a retuning of our education system. It's going to require a retooling of, as you say, are we do we go to something like guaranteed income? Because, you know, there, there's going to be great disparity. In the yeah, nature. people still have to live. Yes. Yep. And so, um, I mean, this is potentially a rat hole all of its own. But this 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 evolution that you're seeing, um, I this reset is happening whether we like it or not. True, true. It would just be kind of nice if we actually thought about it as opposed to, you know, get carried along in the current, bashed against the rocks and see who survives when we come out the other side, which is I like I agree with you. I think all of these things wind up getting themselves sorted out in time. I just wish they'd get the. It would, I just wish there was a way for them to get sorted out with the fewest number of people hurt as possible. Well, <laughs> Call me crazy. No, no, it's not. It's not that. It's just we now have uh, an ongoing obstacle of one inertia and number two 
too many people with money and power who like things the way they are and are going to do everything they can to prolong the way things are. Indeed. Um, so are you, are you, when you say you're not a big fan of the song, are you talking about this rendition or the original Journey? I think the original Journey. It's just... Heretic! <laughs> Go ahead, Sam, wrong again. <laughs> no, I said you were a heretic. I didn't say you were wrong this time. Anyway, I mean, there's worse, uh, but it's just, it's so schmaltzy. It's so little river bandy for me. Just anyway. No, well, that's an interesting point, actually. Interesting comparison. There was Little River Band. I, I would have never compared Little River Band to Journey, but hmm. <laughs> no, Journey did, Journey did some other good stuff. This one just sort of, it's sort of like, we're going to write this to be an anthem. And it sort of reeks of that. Well, I don't. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't deny that. Um, the my favorite Journey song of all time, of course, is I think everyone's favorite Journey song of all time. Although I think some people would say that this is their favorite, but "Open Arms" is the best. I like that one. Yeah, that's that's an awesome song, and in fact, I loved it when it was used in a movie that, like, you know, three people saw me. One, me being one of them. Um, heavy metal. Uh, open Arms was used in the heavy metal movie, which I thought was, you know, seemed extremely appropriate somehow. Do you remember heavy metal? Did you ever watch it? Oh, the mo the movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm just, I'm just kidding. More than three people saw it, but you know, it's like it's getting harder and harder to find people who say, "Oh yeah, heavy metal." I remember that. <laughs> no, I there was there's a lot of stuff that I like. Who's crying now? Uh, there were a lot of there are a number of things that I like. I just. I just I just found "Don't Stop Believing" to be maybe manipulative isn't the right word, but it just had that feel that somebody in some record company thought. Oh, oh yeah, no, no, I don't, I don't doubt that for a minute. I mean, it's it's like it's formulaic and you know a hundred different ways. It's it's I don't know. It's still a great song, but yes, I know it 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 pulls all the strings in all the right places. <laughs> where's where's Whereas the one you like, Open Arms, and there's another one, Who's Crying Now? I like those. Anyway. And, so. I, and I always loved I always loved the Journey cover art, you know, back in the days when we had Elf. Well, I used to confuse them with Foreigner. I can see that. Uh, well, what, the, the, the music or the, uh, or the artwork? Certainly not the artwork. The one name, band name. <laughs> the one word, band name. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> You know, I can actually see Journey and Foreigner as being similar music-wise, um, but the artwork was different. See, now I want to go look at the artwork on the covers. Uh, Journey, album covers. Uh... Oh, but back, back then, album cover art was a deal, right? You oh, had I this. loved album cover art. You remember the stuff from Yes? Yes. Even if you didn't like their brand of music, the cover art was phenomenal. And I like their stuff. Yeah, the foreigners is kind of. I, I may get beat up for this, but it's really kind of boring comparison to compared to anything from Journey or Boston. Boston was cool. Again, these one word band names with cover art. Yes, Boston. <laughs> so now I'm looking, at, I'm looking at Yes album covers. Um, they, they were actually there were some pretty cool ones. The latter is really cool. Union is cool. Drama is cool. But they had some which was basically just like a bubbly yes on a cover. It's like boring, you know. But oh, uh, and then of, of course there was the famous Canadian one word band with the cool artwork, Rush. 
Oh yeah, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, Rush. Yeah, Rush had some. They had some cool covers. Definitely did. Um, you know who had really, really cool covers? Um, um, they always had these like alien, um, alien insect type covers, and I'm trying. Ah, oh, ah, what? That's the kind. Of that's the kind of stuff you would like that I would run from. I loved them. I thought they were great. Um, oh, um, insect aliens. No, don't search for it. Ah! <laughs> tell, me, tell me later. I'll have to look it up later because it's going to take me a while to look for that one. Uh, is, oh wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Was it? No, was it? Um, not Alan Parsons. No, it's not. No, uh, well, Alan Parsons. I, I love Alan Parsons. See, oh man, we could walk down this rabbit hole of like music that I, you know, I, I could talk. I could talk music, especially from you know the seventies and eighties forever. So. Well, we we got started with the postmodern jukebox stuff, which I the the genre bending stuff I just love. If you have a look at their entire set of work on YouTube, and they do covers of stuff that you wouldn't believe in ways you wouldn't believe. Actually, in the last uh, half hour or so, I watched uh, several of them. So uh, obviously, I was I was starting to enjoy it quite a bit because I, I was listening to a number of them. But yes, I actually do love genre bending stuff like that. There was a there was a song uh, from uh, back a gazillion years ago. Um, Dolly Deluxe was the name of the performer, and they did a um, "Can't Get No Satisfaction" blended. Like so, Stones can't get no satisfaction blended with uh, Queen of the Night, Mozart, and um, it was. I'm not saying it was great, but it was balls of fun because, of course, it was this you know, like literally you know, ancient music, so to speak, mixed up you know, ancient Mozart uh, mixed with the Rolling Stones, and I thought it was fantastic. I even saw them on stage. I actually saw Dolly Deluxe in concert. So you know, back a gazillion years ago. So <laughs> boy, that was a rabbit hole. <laughs> we, could make, we, could, we could make a whole episode out of we can, we can and 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 you know the very first like i know i know we got because with what you just said you got me thinking about that whole world of mashups yeah well a, you know what we're gonna have we're gonna have to wrap this and maybe maybe we should do like a whole episode on nothing but like you know 70 days in music including you know a mishmash of different music types and so forth but but um, but like I'm, as soon as we wrap up here, I am going to go and try looking for those damned album covers I'm talking about, and it bugs me that I can't think of it right now. It's driving me bananas, and because I can see the covers, but I can't see the artist's name on the cover. We've clearly been away from this for too long. So clearly, so here we've we've been at it for like an hour and change, and and we barely scratched off one of the topics that was on our list. And so we came into this and we said, oh, we got all these things. What, what did you do last summer? Okay, we did that. And then we got into the whole AI art and we thought, okay, that's going to be one of five things. Well, you know, two to four never got touched. And so I guess we got stuff to come back to. All right. I guess we do. But you know what's going to happen, eh? Like I have a prediction right now. You want to hear my prediction? We'll totally forget about the three or four things that we still have on the list. Because <laughs> we'll have moved on. <laughs> The album covers by bands who have one-word names. That's right. Album covers bands one-word names. Perfect. That, I, I like it. Uh, Toronto um, city names. Hey, we could do we could do like a whole a whole thing on bands named after cities. Chicago, Toronto, Boston. Okay, I'm drawing a blank now. What? Berlin. 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 Berlin yes. 
I, I'm sure we could. I'm sure we could do it. I'm sure we could do it. We could. We could. There's somewhere there's a bench called San Antonio, but we've never heard of it or something like that. That's right. Or or a band called uh, I don't know uh, Leamington, Ontario. <laughs> Except it would just be Leamington. Leamington. Yes. And on the front cover, they would have like a giant tomato that would be like the the, the cover <laughs> of the album. Harry Smith, the Dancing Tomatoes. Ah, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Do you remember that movie? Okay. I think we've been on enough rat holes for today. All right. Well, anyway, it was great talking to you again. Yeah, and clearly we are we haven't done enough of this. Clearly. All right. So bye, Evan. <laughs> bye, Marcel. See you next time, which I hope is soon enough before we forget about everything we need to talk Cheers. about. Cheers. Cheers. I, I, I got to take a look and see if there's a Leamington band up. Bye. Bye. Hi. This is Marcel, after the show. If you like what Evan and I are doing here, there are many ways that you can help support the podcast. The most important and easiest of them all is just to tell your friends, family, dog, cat, goldfish, enemies. Just tell everybody about the podcast and have them listen as well. You can also review it on Anchor.fm or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you happen to listen to podcasts. If you have a blog, you can blog about it. If you have your own podcast, hey, that would be cool. If you have your own podcast, you could actually talk about our podcast and your podcast. If you're going to do that, by the way, you should let us know because, hey, we'd like to listen too. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.